millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Delighted to welcome my first guest of the show this morning, and that's our Home Secretary Pretty Patel. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Now, I must obviously talk to you about Christmas in just a few minutes, but uh, you're announcing today a major big hike in funding for the police, more than £15 billion uh, to uh, go to the police force in next year. What's that going to be spent on? Well, policing is expensive business, and it's right that we continue to invest in our police officers. Um, a lot of that money is going into the recruitment of more officers, but at the same time, we have money going into counterterrorism, police officers, um, training, recruitment, equipment, and effectively driving crime down. That's what the British public voted for just over a year ago now, Julia, as you'll remember in the general election. And don't forget, this year has been a really difficult year because of coronavirus. And I've had to ask the police to do more than ever before. And, you know, for us, this is about backing the police, enabling them to do their job, but fundamentally, you know, driving crime down. And we're seeing some amazing results. We've seen some incredible results throughout the year. Um, will the police be getting a pay rise, though? A lot of people are rather unhappy about the fact that Dominic Cummings apparently got a 40k pay rise at a time when we were saying there wasn't any extra money uh, for any, any uh, public sector pay rises. Well, as you know, we've made a massive commitment in terms of police funding and actually also to help recruitment. Of, of course, money has gone into that. Now, I recognise, we recognise the bravery and commitment and the professional of our police who do work day and night to keep us safe. And part of that does mean, um, within the spending review, refer, reaffirming our commitment to keeping you're keeping them going effectively, but also funding them when it comes to pay, their conditions. Also, overtime is a big factor as well, making sure that they are paid properly. I mean, are you happy about a lot of the police priorities at the moment? We know we have sort of a hands-off policing arrangement, except to chief constables and police and crime con commissioners who are elected uh, to, to uh, sort of dictate uh, exact uh, priorities for each individual police force. But in terms of policing of people during lockdowns, during tier restrictions, as opposed to actually attending when someone has been the victim of, say, a burglary. An awful lot of people say, can't get the police to turn up at all. But police turning up for what many people would consider to be very minor breaking of the law when it comes to COVID restrictions. Are you happy with the way that the police are assigning their duties at the moment? Well, I think, first of all, Julia, look, you've touched on some important points. You've actually touched on the governance and the structures of policing. Um, you know, I do not have operational responsibility for the police because that's with police and crime commissioners, as we all famously know. But you've asked me about priorities. 
I can tell you now, and I've seen this throughout the year, just incredible work. You know, when you look at the work on county lines, um, drugs in particular, over 2,600 arrests since November to August this year, and also 11,000 weapons and firearms off our streets resulting in 74,000 arrests. That's keeping people safe. That's driving crime down. You've made an important point, though, about coronavirus. And, you know, we it's been complicated in terms of regulations, guidance um, that has changed throughout the year. However, um, what I would say, and I've spent many hours, many days myself out on patrol with our police officers throughout this virus. They have the principles of the four, year, four E's of engaging, encouraging and basically communicating with members of the public before they go to enforcement and their enforcement predominantly around egregious breaches and I've seen a lot of those in terms of you know big gatherings unlicensed music events where not only are people spreading the disease but also there are degrees of criminality in some quarters taking there's a difference isn't there between someone organizing a a big rave clearly against Mm -hmm. the law and people in close quarters and people wanting to meet up with their families at Christmas isn't there Uh, yesterday we had the prime minister say he wasn't going to change the law on which had been agreed although other parts of the constituent parts of the UK will be changing the law and he says have a merry little Christmas emphasis there on the little uh, but very much putting the personal responsibility on people Um, do you expect the police to enforce the three household rule over five days during this uh, this Christmas period well, I think, first of all, the Prime Minister has made such an important point about people being conscientious and taking responsibility and making choices for themselves. I think that's absolutely vital. It's not for the police to go into pub, um, private places. Obviously, public space is you know, where, where the police effectively govern. And that is absolutely right. The Prime Minister and actually all of us, quite frankly, when you look at the data, when you see what's going on with COVID, which quite frankly is very sobering. I think we should just concentrate on how sobering coronavirus has been, the impact on our lives, but also the fact that this is not going away and we're living with this virus. Every household will have to make, based on their circumstances, some very difficult and hard decisions as to who they see over Christmas. And no one from government, no one from the state can or should be doing that. So, you know, individuals, as the Prime Minister has said, it's important that they make those decisions. They follow. I'm sorry, I'm confused. So you're you're saying that the state, uh, including the police, should not interfere with what people do on Christmas Day. It's a matter of personal responsibility and conscience. You you asked me specifically about enforcement of the three Mm. household bubble. Now, you know, the police are not going to be knocking on people's doors. But so they're not going to enforce it then? No, no, hang on. If, if there are mass egregious breaches taking place, and clearly that's what the police will be doing, um, enforcing the law and the guidance. But you've also made the point, and this is important, that households themselves must exercise their own choice and decisions as to how, you know, who they spend their time with. And based on the data around coronavirus, Julia, you can see this as much as we all can. Coronavirus is raging across parts of the country. No, it's it's not raging. It's not raging across England. Not at all. We're not. It's not even a surge. This is winter. Respiratory diseases go up in winter. We we don't we don't have excess bed capacity at the moment. We have. It's not the word raging. I mean, lots of the words that politicians are using about this disease simply aren't accurate. Well, I think if you speak to Public Health England and local directors of Public Health England across the country, they would take a very different view. It's it's not not a matter of opinion, it's fact. We just look at the data. Well, they take that view based on data and the deaths alone, as we have seen, the number of deaths is is 612 deaths. Mm -hmm. And that is down to coronavirus. The number of cases... That's people people dying with coronavirus positive. uh, It doesn't necessarily mean that was the main reason they died. 
The latest daily figures on coronavirus are actually 25,000 cases. Mm. Hospitalizations are increasing on a daily basis. And I think they do in December every year. Well, that's because of all sorts of other aspects. But this is very specific. Okay, can I just clarify that you you trust? I mean, this you're somebody who's very much seen as sort of on the libertarian side of the Mm. the Conservative Party. You you and Boris Johnson basically saying you trust the British people to do the right thing on Christmas Day and over the five days of Christmas that start next Wednesday. What I'm confused about is why you don't trust the British people to do the right thing the rest of the time. Why do we have laws controlling who people can see in their homes, and why do we not trust people to make their own decisions about keeping themselves and their lives? loved ones safe the rest of the time. Well, I think, Julia, we do, and we have. Well, you don't, because you know, you've got laws telling people what they can and can't do. Well, it's important to have some guidance and some That's No, no, a law isn't guidance. Banning, no, banning uh, people ha- from seeing another household is not guidance. That's the law. Well, I think when it comes to coronavirus, and we've seen this around the world, this isn't just in our That's country. irrelevant. I don't, I didn't, I, no, 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 no. I didn't get a chance to vote for any other government. I only had a chance to vote for the government of this country. I don't care what Belgium does. I don't care what China does. I care what the British government does. Well, I think, quite frankly, the government has done the right thing with the laws that we have put in place because it's public health protection that matters and has mattered. How many deaths, what level of deaths do we have to get down to before we get our freedoms back? How many vaccines have to be rolled out before we get our freedoms back? Do you have an idea in your head of what they should be? Well, we want we want we want people to be vaccinated, and that is now taking place. And this isn't one hundred thirty-eight thousand. This isn't about a number on vaccines or levels of death. You know, the fact of the matter is, it's the duty of government to you know work night and day to prevent excess deaths, and this government has been doing that. No, 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 that's not the only duty of the government. Governments have lots of duties about keeping people safe, including including allowing people to live their lives freely as 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 free individuals. What, What at what level of death? At what level of vaccine rollout are we going to get our freedoms back, Priti Patel? Well, we all want our freedoms back, Julia. And when are we getting them the, back? Well, we, our priority is to drive down coronavirus, get the R number down. And yes, and what, OK, what number does it have to be down to when we get our freedoms back, please? Well, you know, we work with, we work with Public Health England and medical professionals on this. In they don't make the decisions, they advise. You make the decisions. You've been elected by, this, by people in this country. You're in the government. You, 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 get, you make the decisions. You get a vote in Parliament. The rest of us don't. When do we get our freedom back? At what level of deaths and vaccinations rolled out do we actually get to have our freedoms back when we get trusted to make decisions about our own safety and our own willingness to take a risk or not? I think it's worth bearing in mind, Julia, that, you know, when the R value has come down, various lockdowns and more freedoms have been put back in place. And that's when, obviously, people have the freedoms to live their life. But actually, we've also okay. seen that coronavirus has been spreading as we've come out of lockdowns too. So that's, That happens every time you come out of a lockdown. You're totally well, predictable. Well, of course. But then, of course, you know, we trust people to exercise their own judgment when it comes to, you know, how they conduct themselves, hands, face, face, wearing masks, social distancing, being conscientious and taking responsibility, even in terms of the numbers of people that they are seeing and interacting with. So if, if there's if and when there's a rise in coronavirus cases in January, will that be the government's fault or will that be the people's fault? No, well... It, Look, we're not going to pinpoint blame. This is co- this is collective across society. We are seeing coronavirus spread. Therefore, we all have responsibility okay. with right. governments and individuals to be conscientious, A, from our side in terms of the advice and guidance we give, but also in terms of you know people making choices and decisions as to ha- who they see, for example, how many interactions they have, how many households and family members that they're coming into contact okay. with. Uh, and just, it's hard, Julia. Let, uh, it, let, 
be clear, it's very difficult, it's frustrating, and you know, I can completely appreciate and understand that people feel highly restricted. It is a deeply undesirable situation, but we, we have to think about A, the spread of the virus and also protecting public health. Okay, just finally, very, very quickly, are we going to get a Brexit deal or not? Well, I can't speculate on the deal, but I can tell you now, everybody is working flat out and the Prime Minister is absolutely committed to, you know, keeping these talks going. But I should emphasise we will not accept anything that undermines um, our ability to control our own laws or undermines our independence as a sovereign nation. Okay, Priti Patel, Home Secretary, thank you very much indeed. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Be well informed. Let's uh, talk about uh, what's happening over Christmas with our next guest, virologist at the University of Reading, Dr Simon Clark. Good morning to you once again. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Um, we did have this uh, idea, you know, we have these five days of Christmas. A lot of people, when these were first announced some weeks ago, were saying, well, the, the, the people who want us all to be locked in our homes, cut, you know, huddled up under the, uh, the, the cupboard under the stairs, uh, were all saying, look, you know, this is crazy to have restrictions and then have freedom. And everyone goes crazy for five days, you know, meeting with their family members, travelling across the country. They always thought that was mad. But we've seen Wales rowing back and changing the law to two households, not three. Scotland saying you can only do one day, don't stay overnight. Night. London, um, the, the, in London yesterday, the Prime Minister saying, look, if for England, the rules are going to stay the same. The law isn't going to change. You can meet up to three households. You can, you've can, you got five days in which you can travel, move between different tiers. But he did say, you know, try to limit it. Don't visit if you can't get it, you know, if you could not. And, and basically have a merry little Christmas, the emphasis on the word little. Do you think that's enough to keep uh, coronavirus infection rates uh, not from not getting out of control in, in January? Um, whether they'll get out of control or not, I don't know. They will continue to go up. I mean, I think we've got to be sensible about this and realise that the situation has changed from when this, this Christmas easing was uh, first muted. So the advice is going to change with it. And I don't really see it as such a big deal. But it's just the fact that the more people that spread, the, the, the more opportunity there is for, the more people that mix, sorry, the more opportunity there is for the virus to spread. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. And again, the key thing is also who you're mixing with. Now, I personally would argue that, you know, three households meeting uh, for, for a meal who were all young uh, and healthy, no underlying health issues and in their, say, my age, um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call myself young for the purposes of this conversation, Simon. Without more, no more laughter from you, young man. Um, uh, but but is is actually a very low risk relative to whether you were meeting with elderly relatives. Would I would I have my my daughter with a whole bunch of elderly relatives who had underlying health conditions um, for for hours and end staying overnight for three or four nights? No, I wouldn't. But but this is the kinky thing for a lot of people. Is this not a sort of decision that, that people are perfectly capable of making themselves? Everyone I know, people, whether they work in the office here or friends, family, people are making decisions about who to spend Christmas with. And largely it is two households meeting in a very sort of narrow basis for a shorter period of time. People are sensible enough to make these decisions themselves. They don't need laws to tell them, do they? You'd hope so. Um, I think that... Uh... I would agree with your analysis that younger people getting together is less of a problem than mixing younger and older people. I think that stands to reason. I think also this concentration on the number of uh, people you can have in a house is silly as well. In the United States, states the uh, Centers for Disease Control is telling people to ignore that and think how... how uh, possible is it how how easy is it for people to maintain their distancing 
Uh, I think that's what's important, mm -hmm. stuff like that. So it should be possible. But of course, people complain if the advice is not clear. Yeah, and and again, it it will be different for every family, depending on their home, depending on their health risk, uh, age profile, what people do for a living, how much they come into contact with other public. Again, it's like my family, we've all just, we're going away on Saturday, we've all just had our COVID test. Most of my family either had it or in the last week have had a COVID test showing they're negative. I, I, I'm not quite sure how we can be a risk to anybody. Uh, you know, we, they're, they're, that, there is there is an argument there. Um, let's let's talk though about um, what people can do to keep safe. Now, a lot of it people sort of laugh about, but there is actually very there is very very well science science about this. It's having a draft, having fresh air, opening all the doors and windows maybe halfway through Christmas Day to sort of clear out the air, um, and so you're not sitting there uh, with with if someone has got COVID with that sort of lingering in the air. Things like, or sitting outdoors whenever you can. Things like that, which sound a bit silly, are actually there are actually things that can make it safer for people. Yeah, I think uh, a good change of air, or perhaps if the weather's okay, leaving the uh, a couple of windows open all day because you want a stream of air if you can get it through your house, that would be useful. Try not to huddle all up on the sofa. Perhaps the younger ones this year can sit on the floor and perhaps try not all to uh, huddle around the table. Uh, it's about de-densifying. It's a horrible word, but it's the only way I can think of de-densifying our lives. OK, let's talk about the vaccine, though. Uh, yesterday, just before I came off air, we uh, found out that uh, the actual numbers of the number of people who've been vaccinated since Tuesday last week, and it was just under 138,000. And the you know, government congratulated themselves on this. I have to say, I wasn't very impressed. I would have expected a military operation to roll out rather more than that. They're told it will massively increase. Of course, it would increase exponentially if we uh, had the Oxford-AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, for which we ordered far more, and much easier to roll out that, that cold chain storage problem that the uh, Pfizer vaccine has. But um, uh, we've told there's an IT failure problem. Uh, doctors having, the GPs having to record, you know, pen and paper who's had the vaccine and then input it later because the app doesn't work. I mean, it's it's all terribly British, isn't it, Simon? Yeah, I, I thought when I heard that, oh, this again, you would think, wouldn't you, that the Department of Health would say, we don't have accurate numbers for you at the moment rather than have to report a number and come back and say, oops, we got it wrong. Yeah, but I mean, are you disappointed in those numbers? Or I mean, I know it's going to go up, but there well, does seem to be a view that we'll, we'll get better at it. I'm thinking, why can't you start better? At the moment, we've actually only got enough uh, vaccine to uh, jab 400,000 people because they don't know for sure that they're going to be getting the second doses for people. Don't so they, they got... said they're going to get two more million by the end of the year. Yeah, but until it's actually here... Um, these things can have uh, production problems all along the way. Uh, I certainly wouldn't go risking it until I actually had them in the bank, in, in the freezer in this country. So, OK, but 400,000 would have been nice uh, to, to... It have would, got, yeah. Um, but it is, it's not great. No. Again, a lot of people say, oh, I'm, again, I'm not government bashing for the sake of it. I just was really surprised it was so low. I've, I've been asking for months now of ministers, have you got a plan the moment you've got the vaccine, literally the moment you've got it in your hands, how you roll that out as quickly as possible? And GPs making phone calls and sending letters seems to me to be a very slow way of doing it. It is. And it's not like we haven't known this is coming for months. No, exactly. Uh, Simon Clark, always good to talk to you. Thank you. Breakfast with Julia Hartley Brewer and The Times. Know your times. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. First up, though, what's going to be happening today with an announcement on tiers? The review was carried out yesterday by the government. Of course, London went up from tier two to tier three uh, rather earlier than people expected. Uh, but today we're waiting to find out if large swathes of the country currently in tier three may well finally see hospitality be opened. And one man who's certainly hoping for that for Greater Manchester is the mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham, who joins us now. Good morning to you. Good morning, Julia. Good morning. Have you had any hint at all from government about uh, whether or not you're going to see hospitality reopened in your city? No, uh, nothing at all, I'm afraid. Um, I've been urging them over the airwaves to look at the evidence because we're in a really uh, much better position today than when we were a few weeks ago when the first tier decisions were made. If uh, we were given the same consideration as London, then we would be in uh, tier two uh, at the end of today. But, uh, Julia, my worry is they've made a mistake over Christmas. That much is clear. I think they may be about to overcompensate now uh, by being cautious on the tier decisions. And that will be very hard on people here who've made many sacrifices to get to this point. OK, so we've got 34 million people across England right now, more than 60 percent of the population in, in tier three after, of course, you know, uh, nine million plus Londoners and others were put in the other day. But there was a strong argument. I remember discussing it with you at the time that actually Manchester should never have been uh, in tier three in the first place, that you actually you, you already were seeing falling infection rates. But certainly if if we're looking at our numbers, infection rates, number of cases, all of that, on all those grounds, Manchester should move down a tier, and indeed so should some other parts of the country, Leeds, Leicestershire as well. But the government has never actually told us what the criteria are for moving up or down a tier. Well, they've told us what the criteria are, uh, and they are numbers of people in hospital, uh, cases in over 60s. They they haven't said the actual point at which you go up or down. That's the point. They haven't set the threshold within those criteria. So you're right, you know, people are left not knowing whether we've met it or not. But we are way below, uh, not just London, actually, where Liverpool also was when it it went into uh, tier two. And the hard thing will be for people, well, hang on a minute, we're doing what you're asking us to do. You know, is there no light at the end of this of this tunnel? And that's the the difficult thing, I think, about all the decisions Mm -hmm. today. And if I'm honest, Julia, I don't believe personally from a health point of view, that there is a big difference between tiers two and tiers three. Let me just explain why. If you close all hospitality at this time of year, particularly, 
you create a much bigger risk of many more gatherings in the home. And all the experts say that is where the virus spreads the most. From an economic point of view, though, there's a huge difference between tiers two and three. Tier three is very, very damaging to cities in particular. So that is my is my view. I think uh, decisions could be safely taken uh, about tier two uh, today. I think they would have been even safer still if they'd changed the rules over Christmas. Yeah. But we are where we I'm are. I'm a little bit clear. You're, you're saying you don't think there's a bigger health difference. I'm, I mean, again, I completely accept your argument on the economic case and people gathering in the home. That would make tier three more of a risk than tier two then. Well, genuinely, I think the, the evidence is finally balanced there. The Greater Manchester Police are expecting a busier New Year's Eve if we're in Tier 3 than if we're in Tier 2. And what does that say to you? It says to you that there will just be more spontaneous gatherings in, in homes. And, you know, it's hard because hospitality creates a regulated environment. They've spent thousands and thousands and millions of pounds, actually, uh, putting in those measures. So why is it better to have people not in those places but in... Um, other types of gatherings where the risks may be greater. You know, I, I, I personally don't think any of this was properly thought through back in, in November. <laughs> we, we should have had, I said it at the time, though, on your, I think on your programme, we should have had a, a more kind of balanced approach to the tiers where retail wasn't given this complete green light that it's been given. Uh, hospitality was given uh, permission to open. And then we should have had a more modest uh, window over the Christmas yeah. Christmas period. Well, let's come back to Christmas, because you said a little bit earlier the government's made a mistake over Christmas. So you want to have less restrictions on hospitality. It sounds like you want some more restrictions on non-essential retail, but you want us to have more restrictions over Christmas. It, it sounds pretty incoherent, if you don't mind me saying, Mr Burnham. But what, what's the mistake over Christmas? What should the government have done? It's not incoherent at all, Julia, because it's basically calling for a steady approach all the way through December and January without all of this sort of, you know, feast sort of famine type thing that they're, they're doing. So over Christmas, let me just explain what we do as a family, if that helps. We don't gather for five days. Now, I don't know about other people's families, but to be honest, do you, does anyone gather for no. five days? <laughs> I did wonder um, about that, yeah. Isn't that, so, a, isn't that to allow travelling time for people? Well, I don't know. I, I guess so. But it doesn't take that all that long to travel, does it, from most parts of the, of the UK? But not, that's the problem. It created a big window where they were sending a message. Oh, well, you know, the rules are lifted and you can have a, have a period of, of freedom from them. And I think that was the problem. They should have adopted a steadier approach all the way uh, through this because, you know, it's, it's going to be tough for people if they're just told today, hospitality can't reopen because let's be honest julia there's going to be no real review in the middle of christmas and new year the next review will be in the middle of january and that is a, a bleak prospect for the hospitality industry i'm hearing that people have delivered beer to pubs yesterday and the expectation or the hope that they're going to be allowed to reopen the money that they will lose will be colossal if there's a negative decision today. Yeah. I mean, again, I've, I've always argued against the closure of hospitality for all the very re real reasons that you have, uh, data-backed reasons that you've you outlined there. But what I don't understand, though, is that you, you, you've been in favour of Labour official policy, which was for lockdowns. And we know what happened with the lockdown, which was happened in Wales under the First Minister Mark Drakeford, a Labour politician. 17-day lockdown, over half term, um, when schools were closed. I mean, it, it was literally textbook what Keir Starmer had been calling for. Now we've seen the infection rates in Wales go sky high, far higher than other parts of the United Kingdom. And they talked about, and well, they're going into tier four on the oh, just after Christmas, which is, to all intents and purposes, another lockdown. Why do you support lockdowns, but not some of these tier restrictions? Because I think we need shorter periods of firm restrictions that actually work 
and get but the it cases did, but, down. But, but it didn't so, in Wales. Well, no, why, I, why would it where, work in England but not in Wales? Ah, but this is the thing. So lockdowns can be constructed in different ways. And I've not necessarily signed up to anyone's um, uh, version in Wales or elsewhere. My call when we had the recent national lockdown was for schools to be included because I believe that would be the only way that that would truly bring the cases uh, right down. So I can only argue for what Wales what did I... close schools. Well, it was over half term. Look at the figures, Julia, over the uh, April uh, lockdown and the more recent one. They, they do national lockdowns are the only thing, in my view, that turn the cases actually the line downwards. That's the only thing that has been proven to show. And what that that happens, happens when you come out of lockdown? You then can give people less onerous restrictions. That's the whole point. If you give, if you have a shorter period of a stricter lockdown, you can give people more of their life The strict lockdown, exactly the thing that they had in Wales for 17 days, exactly the time period your party leader talked about, all of that, and they've got rising infection rates. Well, I would have said it wasn't long enough, personally, if you'd asked my view about that. I didn't construct the lockdown. Here's Starmer talked about two or three weeks. 17 days is two and a half weeks. That's that's exactly what Labour was calling for. No, I, I would say both of them should have been done earlier, as Sage advised. So they said it should have been done in September to get ahead of the second wave. And they said, I, as I understand it, it should have been firmer. So, What do you think would have happened in October if we'd had a month-long lockdown in September? I mean, just, let's, just, let's just pie in the sky this. What do you think would have happened in October? But the, the, the height of the second wave would have been lower. Absolutely. Okay. What we saw in October, and let me answer the question, what we saw in October and what we saw in November was a second wave <clears throat> that kept growing and growing. And it was only when the national lockdown came in that that turned around and came back down That's the not other way. True. That's if... not true. Infection rates were going down in large parts of the country before the lockdown came in. I don't know if that No, that no, that, I'm, I'm, I can assure you, we get Ofcom complaints about every single thing we say. I make sure I've got a factual no, basis for everything I say. The official, the official, no, no, it's not a matter of opinion. It's not some crank on Twitter. The official data showed so infection rates were question, going down you know, before we went into lockdown. Let, let me ask you a question. You, you don't believe in lockdowns. Did the national lockdown in April have any effect on the cases in your view? The national lockdown, which I, which I supported at the time when we went into it, was, was there for two specific reasons, to protect the NHS and to, and to flatten the curve. So we didn't have so many people in the first wave of a pandemic. We knew very little about a virus and we needed to make sure we didn't have everybody getting ill at the same time so and not getting treated. Yeah. Lockdowns were so, there. So, no, the lockdowns... lockdown worked. The lockdown worked, as in no, we didn't have a... Pe- but what happens when you come out of lockdown? We kept in, we kept in lockdown until the summer. You just said that they work. So no. it all depends how no. you construct. No, Andy. No, I haven't it said all... that. No, they locked out, lock, that lockdown had a specific purpose. But now the lockdown purpose is, seems to me to be no one dies at all ever. And we stay in lockdown or perpetual lockdown release, lockdown release until no well, one dies of COVID. That's never going to happen. We're never going to come out of this cycle. Well, Maybe, maybe there's more agreement between us than, than we realise. Because actually, I would favour a firmer lockdown like we had earlier this year of a shorter period to get things back down to protect the And NHS then what the happens when you come out of lockdown, the infection rate goes up because the virus is so, still there. Julia, what we should have is a functioning test and trace system. We should. That's the point of that. So you have a lockdown and then when you come out of it, a test and trace system can be used effectively to keep the cases low. But we don't have a functioning test and trace system. So where you and I agree is that this virus is being managed by blanket restrictions. And that is an awful place to have ended up 
at the end of this year. So I actually think we, we agree, to be honest. Lockdowns done properly can work. No, but no, when you we come don't. out of a lockdown, you should use a test and trace system to keep the cases low. Yeah. And well, Germany did that. And how's Germany doing right now, Andy? Well, they didn't have a pro they've not had proper <laughs> restrictions throughout the year when they needed them. So, you know, if, if you use lockdowns properly, look at the World Health Organization advice, Julia. They should be short. They should be effective. Well, the World Health Organization advice is that lockdowns should not be used, actually. Uh, Peru had a lockdown for four or five months. Not even You didn't even allow husbands and wives to leave the house on the same day. Highest, highest fatality rate in the world. I, mean, I don't no, know how no. much more evidence we need that lockdowns don't work. We're going to have to leave it there. I know you are. We will talk many more times. I will say, though, I am going to keep everything crossed today that the good people have managed to get their hospitality open, get those businesses reopened, get those jobs back. Uh, and okay, we, that is not gonna, where we are seeing the driving from a coronavirus infection. So I really, really hope that does happen for you and for many other parts of the country as well. Andy Burnham, you know it's always great to talk to you. Uh, this is my penultimate show of the year, so I fear alas, it'll be the last time I speak to you this year, but um, a very, very happy Christmas to you. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.